This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. I couldn't tell you exactly if I saw the movement out of the corner of my eye first or if my dad yelled deer first. And I knew there was no way I was going to be able to stop. So I I slammed the throttle forward and I yanked back on the yoke and I'm instantly airborne. And I see the deer come underneath my right wingtip. And then I hear a thump. Welcome to another edition of There I Was a podcast where we put you in the cockpit with pilots in demanding situations and we learn how they flew out of them. I'm your host, Richard McSpadden. Today's guest is IT professional Ken Urban. Ken's a thousand-hour general aviation pilot. He's a CFI. He earned his private pilot's license in 2008. He's owned four different kinds of airplanes, and today he's going to share a story with us of flying his current airplane, a Piper Aero, with his dad, when they struck a deer airborne. Okay, Ken, that definitely gets our attention. Welcome and share your story with us. Yeah, I would, um, and actually, I'll get to this in the story, but I'd say the deer actually is the one that struck us. (laughs) Fair enough, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so last November, I took our, it was a new to us Piper Arrow, right? It's 2003. Uh, We just got it back in, in that August up on what I like to call a keep the engine healthy flight. So about an hour or so, maybe a little bit more. And I invited my dad along because he's been in planes with me before, you know, 172s, other Piper Arrows, but he's never been in this particular plane. And I said, hey, it's a good opportunity. It's a nice day. Let's just go fly. Hey, let me interrupt you right there. I like that keep the engine healthy flight. Tell me what that's about, what your intervals are, and expand on that a little bit. Yeah, so I try to fly at least once a week for the engine, you know, because an, an engine that sits idle is prone to rust. And so I like to just circulate the oil, burn off the, you know, any condensation that's, that's accumulated in there. And I like to make it for at least an hour to get it up to operating temperature to really get the engine warm, to stretch its legs. You know, just like people, planes need to fly. That's great stuff, and and I think this is well-known by now, but in case it's not, you know, one of the worst things you can do for your engine is to just crank it up on the ground and let it run and then shut it down because what you want to do is get that oil up to temperature like about 180 degrees or so because what you're trying to do is actually boil off the moisture, and it's the moisture in there that actually creates the rust. So just by cranking your engine on the ground and shutting it down, not getting it up to operating temperature, you're actually making the problem worse because you're creating more moisture in there. 100%. And in fact, you know, after this incident occurred, I said to my mechanic, I said, let's put some preservative oil on the plane if it's really going to be down for so long, because I don't want this to have an issue when we take it back up. Okay, sounds good. So you are going out on a keep the engine healthy uh, flight. I love that. And it's a great excuse to go flying, right? I will take any excuse I can get. So but yeah, I, I let my, oh, actually, I should say I made my dad sit on the left side because 
you know, as I said, I'm a CFI and, you know, I haven't been doing a lot of instructing because of the pandemic and I want to keep myself sharp. So anytime I have a passenger that is calm and flown with me before, I usually tell them, sit on the other side and I'm going to sit from this side just to keep myself sharp. So the flight itself, though, is it was perfect. We went out to Cape Cod Bay. You know, we did a big loop checking out the sites from Provincetown all the way down. You know, I pointed out some of the, the different landmarks, the pave balls installation and all that, you know, staying clear of all that airspace. The weather was really good for the most part. We did pick up a little bit of light precip here and there, but it's kind of ergy you, you see and doesn't really affect your visibility at all. Nothing to be considered, a, you know, a problem. It's a solid VFR day. That just looks like a gorgeous flight. You're flying out yes. of Mansfield, one Bravo 9, for those that are following along in flight, and flying out over the Cape and then just back around. What It just sounds like a gorgeous flight. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was the kind of day where, depending on what angle you were at, you could see Boston, you could see Providence. You know, it was beautiful out there, and it was calm air, too. But, you know, we eventually had to come back, right, because you always do. And on the way back, I got the weather from Taunton, which is not my destination because Mansfield hasn't had any traction lately to get their weather installed. So we have to get it from Taunton or Norwood, two local airports. Uh, so I got it from Taunton and it said, you know, the winds were variable and a little bit gusty. I don't remember the exact winds and I don't have the paper that I wrote them down on anymore because it's been a few months, uh, which I always advocate doing, by the way. I teach my students write, write down the winds so you know them and you don't have to forget. And what time of day was it? This was close to two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. And so the winds were favoring three, two, you know, so I come around on final normal pattern and I get on short final, everything's still going smooth. Power is at idle, hands on the throttle, like touch it right down on the threshold markings of three, two. That's when the fun starts. This is the moment where everything diverges. Hmm. So I couldn't tell you exactly if I saw the movement out of the corner of my eye first or if my dad yelled deer first, but they were pretty close to each other. You know, one of the two happened and they may have happened at the same time, but my head just snapped to the right. And I see that deer standing there in the grass between the runway and the taxiway. It's maybe a hundred or so feet in front of me at this point. And if you look at the satellite view of the runway, it's just past the first exit there, but it, you can't use that exit on 3-2, it's, so it's more of a the last exit for the, the opposite runway. Okay. And so I know I, I came in a little bit faster than normal because of the gust factor, right? So I, you, I typically carry a few extra knots based on a gust factor there. So I'm thinking I'm really fast right now. And of course, I knew there was no way I was going to be able to stop. And my concern, and this is probably a little bit of me thinking after the fact, was that my concern was that if I hit it, I'm spinning the plane and ending up in the ditch. Uh, which would be very bad. Mm -hmm. So I, I slam the throttle forward and I yank back on the yoke and I'm instantly airborne, right? So I have enough energy that I take right back off and I start to climb out. And I'm looking at the instruments and out the front of the plane and out and then I glance to my right again and I see the head of the deer come underneath my right wingtip. And I, I start to breathe a sigh of relief at this point because I'm like, it's under my wing. I'm safe. I'm good. And then I hear a thump. And, you know, it's like a heart sickening thump. Mm. And I was probably 10 to 15 feet into the air at this point. That's my, my guess. Because I hadn't been climbing very long. And I thought, okay, it went under my wing. It hit the tire, right? One of the gear. And my head goes straight back down to the end of the runway. It's like on a, on a spring, right? Because I'm like, I, I got to fly the plane. A, first rule, aviate, right? 
And I'm looking at the end of the runway. And by the time that I had actually registered in my head what would happen and I needed to make a decision, I probably had climbed up to at least 100 feet. And I'm thinking, no way am I getting this bird safely back on the ground and stopped without running off the runway. Not a problem to run off the runway, mm-hmm. except I was worried about hitting trees or flipping or something like that. And I'm like, it's just, it's flying. It's not worth it. Keep climbing. And so I elected to continue the climb out. I cleaned the plane up. I got it back up to outer pattern altitude. And now suddenly I imagine you get up to pattern altitude and you're like, wow, <laughs> catch, catch your breath there a little bit. How'd you handle it? You'd clean the airplane up so your gear's up. Yep. How'd you handle it from there? Apparently I was making radio calls, you know, because my dad said I was. I could not tell you what was in those calls. It was totally automatic for me. So while I was doing that, I'm thinking, what do I do? I've been hit. I'm potentially damaged, but I don't actually know the state of the airplane, right? Like it's been handling perfectly. Mm-hmm. I was slow, you know, coming up, of course, because the plane was dirty. I cleaned it up. The plane handled exactly like I, like it does all the time. Made the turns, everything. So I'm transitioning all the way through these different phases of flights and everything is normal. And there's no visible damage. I can't see anything, right? Like I look at my wing and everything's fine. And so I'm thinking, well... I can go to Norwood, they're a towered airport, and they'll have emergency services on the field. There's technically emergency services on the field because there's a helicopter life flight on the field here at Mansfield, but they're not primed for me to call them and say, hey, you know, right. can you be there? Yeah. So I'm, I'm weighing that and I'm thinking, this plane is flying perfectly fine right now. I do not want to fly for 20 minutes to somewhere else and risk something happening along the route at altitude. Mm-hmm. And I have a perfectly good runway below me right now. At worst, I thought I had a flat tire. Because I, I had three green even after I was hit. Yeah. Let's just put it back down on the runway. That's probably the safest thing to do. So is that pretty much what you did? You put the gear back down and came back around and flew a normal pattern? Yep. So I put the gear back down at altitude, probably about midfield or so. And they locked all three green. And so I'm like, beautiful. They're down and locked, at least according to the sensors which is all I have to tell, so I have to trust that. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, okay, tire's probably flat, maybe. I don't know if it hit its antler or its head or shoulder or whatever. So I'm thinking, okay, line up on final. I'll do a soft field landing. I'll come in behind the power curve and touch it down as softly as I can. And so that's exactly what I did. I got on final. I saw the deer was still laying on the runway, and I'm like, oh, okay, I killed it, right, because that's all I could tell. I'm like, it's not going anywhere. I look over at the taxiway, that plane's still sitting there because, you know, I had made calls and they didn't want to take off with a deer laying on the runway. Mm-hmm. Okay, taxiway is not an option. I can't land on there. And I'm thinking, we do have a grass runway here at Mansfield, but not really something I want to try right now. Haven't made a true soft field landing in a couple of years on, on grass. Pavement's probably better for me right now. So let me just set it down. I'll offset to the right because it's a wide runway. And so I get on short final and I'm hyper checking, right, for other things. And so is my dad. He's looking out the window and we're like, it's not moving. Everything's okay. And I figured, you know, if I have a flat tire, I'm going to stop pretty quick anyway. So I'll be stopped before that deer. So I touched down and it was probably the most perfect soft field I'd ever done. I probably could have landed on the actual grass for that one. (laughs) And it was apparent right away that there was no flat tire. Like there was no pulling or anything like that. So I just started braking. And we slowed down quite a bit and we kind of rolled by that deer at about, I don't know, 15 miles an hour or so. Uh, And then we actually saw some other deer 
standing in the woods on the left. And so we figure, okay, we're down, we're on the ground, we're safe. We let everybody know the deer is still on the runway, don't take off, went to go get fuel. And here's where a little bit of confirmation bias comes into play. I shut the plane down, secure it, get out, and immediately rush to look at the, the gear. And I see a little bit of blood on the gear on the right main. And I'm like, okay, great. That's it. It looks mm-hmm. fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm done. Perfect. Yeah. You thought it hit the gear. There's the blood. It hit the gear. Everything's fine. Yeah. So I saw exactly what I wanted to see, right? Mm-hmm. The airport lineman comes out and he does the same thing. He, he sees me looking at the gear and he looks at it and he's like, are you guys okay? I'm like, yeah, we're fine. It hit the gear and nothing else. He goes, oh, great. You didn't get away with any damage. You know? And I'm like, yeah, it's perfect. It's as good as it could be. And then my dad gets out. And he walks around the plane and he goes, has this hole always been in the wing? (laughs) And that's when my heart sank. And yep, sure enough, there was a big hole in the bottom of the leading edge of the wing. Yeah, the bottom of the leading edge from the antlers, do you think? Yeah, it was the antlers. Uh, You can actually see two impact points on the wing there. The first one is where one of the antlers got stuck in the wing and the second one didn't actually penetrate. So my running hypothesis is that we were up in the air and it jumped at us because its mates were on the other side of the runway and it thought we were trying to get between him and his mates. Yeah. Wow, Ken, that all happened so quick. And I agree with your decision to land on the pavement, by the way. Good. (laughs) Because if you had any kind of gear problem, I think the chances of you flipping or that gear digging in the grass would be so much higher than just skidding on pavement, right? Yes. And, and others might say, well, the concern of, you know, sparks in a fire, it just rarely happens on a gear up kind of landing on the pavement where there's a fire afterwards. It just, it's typically not an issue. Yeah. And I was totally prepared. If I didn't get three green, I was gear upping that thing and I was going to go do it at a different airport. Yeah. Right. Different scenario, right? Yep. All right. So now that we're sitting here with, you know, a cup of coffee and zero knots and one G, I want to go back and break down some of the decisions you had to make in the moment and talk about what was going through your mind. Hey, listeners, do you love aviation? Did you know that general aviation contributes billions to the U.S. economy every year and is a vital pipeline for military and commercial pilot force? AOPA works to ensure the vitality of the aviation industry and supports our freedom to fly. Join us and become a member now at AOPA.org. You'll become part of a worldwide community of aviation enthusiasts. We'd love to have you. Find out more at AOPA.org. So the first one was, you see the deer, you make the go-around decision, and then you hit the gear and you decide to keep going as opposed to pulling the power and putting it back on the on the deck. Yep. So talk to us about that. So, you know, it takes at least three seconds or so for your brain to really catch up in an emergency to see, to get back into that decision loop, right? Yeah. Unless you react in muscle memory, you're you're not doing anything for those three seconds. So I ate up a lot of runway in three seconds, right? Yeah. And I'm looking at those trees and they're getting really close and I'm climbing the whole time. And I'm thinking, you know, same scenario. If I would ran off the end of the runway, I probably would have dug in and done some serious damage, not just to the plane, but to the people in the plane, which was my main concern. 
And so I'm like, there's no safe way for me to pull the power and set it back down on the runway. I wish there would have been. I would have totally done that. If I'd have been a 10,000 foot runway, there would have been no hesitation. The power would have came out and I'd have been back on the runway. Right. But what I like about that decision is you didn't make an urgent decision in the moment, like, like just a quick reaction that was suboptimum. The airplane was flying. You were yep. fine. You sort of managed your composure and said, you probably thought about it for a second, down on the, no, because that is all of a sudden a very harried maneuver. Chop the power to idle. Maybe you're going to have to slip. Maybe the gear's okay. Maybe it's not. You don't put yourself in that kind of stressful situation because you assess, hey, this airplane's flying fine. I'm going to keep it airborne and go around the patch. Yep. And, and this is a maneuver that I actually teach and that my CFI teaches as well. But we make sure to do it on a long enough runway is that just after you lift off, I pull the power and I tell the student, you know, your engine just died. Different scenario, right? Because yep. now you don't have the option to keep flying and you're on a longer runway, whereas here yep. you do. And so, OK, so that's your first one. And I always learned that when you have some kind of anomaly, first thing you do is maintain aircraft control. Yep. And then analyze the situation and then take proper action. So in your case, you were running through that, that OODA loop, if you will, the observe, mm -hmm. orient, decide, and act. You were running through that very quickly. And yes. you made the decision that analyze the situation. I hit something, not sure what, plane's flying fine, not sure I could get it down on the runway. I'm going to keep pressing. Yep. Now, the, the next thing you did was retract the gear. And I want to talk to you in hindsight would you retract the gear again? No, that was a pure autonomic response on yeah. my part. I believe that was a mistake. I should have left the gear down. Yeah, but for all of those of us who fly retract airplanes can see how that is just such an automatic response. You're powering up, you're going around, you get positive climbing, the gear comes up. Yep. So, yeah, and that same scenario also is that anytime you're in a retractable gear airplane, and you have your gear down and something happens, something happens to your airplane, you know, the, the structure of it or some kind of uh, anomaly. If your gear is down, you leave it down because you're not sure that if you retract it, can you get it back down? Right. So, yeah, I agree with you. In hindsight, if, if you left the gear down, that would have been a better option. But in this case, it turned out not to be a, a factor. You power up and go around. And then the next thing I want to ask you about is, uh, did you ever think about on downwind doing a like a configuration check to see how the air to climb up to altitude and see how the airplane would act at approach speed when you had some altitude recovery if, if you had any kind of problem? So I, I thought about it briefly, to be honest, but I had no reason to suspect that there was anything wrong with the controllability of the aircraft. You know, I had just transitioned through all of those speeds on the takeoff. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, it's flying perfectly. Like, and I, I looked at the wing and everything. I'm like, there is nothing wrong with this plane. Maybe if I was on a cross country or something like that, I've noticed a little bit of performance loss because I did have a hole in my wing that I didn't know about. But there was literally nothing I could feel that was wrong in the whole pattern that I was flying. Mm -hmm. I made the incorrect assumption that there was no damage to the airframe, but it turned out okay because it didn't really affect the flying characteristics in the maneuvers that I was doing. Yeah. So something people could consider if they're in a similar or different scenario is anytime you suspect you have some kind of structural problem with your airplane, a piece fell off or you hit something like you did, it's a good idea to climb up to altitude and configure the airplane for landing and then slow down to approach speed 
to see if you can get to approach speed and the aircraft's going to handle normally. And as a general rule of thumb, you slow to approach speed or slow to the speed at which you start seeing degraded performance, and then yep. you go no slower than one of those two, right? Yep. And then once you do that, you remain configured. Keep your gear down, keep your flaps down, and then just work your way back around the pattern. So that's a good option for scenarios where the damage might have been a little more serious or it might be a little more unknown than what you had. Yeah, I think for me, the deciding factor was my assumption that the gear was what had been damaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can see that. And you make a good point that when you were on the climb out, it seemed to, you know, you just went through all those speeds and you had good controllability. So you may not have thought through all that, but you just had this innate confidence that the airplane yes. was flying well throughout the envelope. Yes. Yeah. Wow, I've, I've heard of people hitting deer on landing rollout before. And interesting is in the middle of the afternoon, it was two o'clock, so it wasn't like prime deer time. Yeah. You know what's funny, actually, is we got the airplane back a couple of weeks ago, and we went flying. It was probably my second, the third flight, third flight, I think, in this plane since we got it back. And I had my family in the plane with me this time. And guess what we saw run across the runway again? Hmm. More deer three of them. This time it didn't run in front of us. We were just taxiing, but another airplane saw them and it happened to be the same plane that was waiting at the taxiway when we hit the deer. Mm, interesting. Just a couple weeks ago, I was in a bonanza at Culpeper Airport and I had someone in my right seat. I pushed the power, I'm in the left seat, I pushed the power up for takeoff and he says, abort, deer on the runway. And I couldn't see it because of the sun angle I couldn't see the deer on the runway, but he could from the right seat. Yep. And, um, and but it was prime, you know, deer o'clock, if you will. It was like that five, six o'clock, you know, just a civil twilight time when when the deer seemed to be more popular. Well, you know what, Ken? I think this also the great lesson from here is that everything's going fine. You're on this beautiful flight, and you're probably relaxed coming in for a right seat landing, which you've done hundreds of times before. Yep. And then in a second, it changes. And it seems like you did a great job of just keeping your composure and thinking your way through that in a very rapid fashion. Yeah. My dad actually said after the fact that he was not at all concerned when we hit the deer because, you know, I just had the situation under control. I will say that you always have to be vigilant 24 seven when you're flying. I, I do a sterile cockpit in the runway environment and my passengers know the only time they're allowed to talk is if they see something that's unusual, like a deer or a plane or something like that. Yeah, great rule of thumb. Well, Ken, I'm so glad that you kept your composure, brought the airplane around and landed safely. And thanks so much for sharing your story with us. Well, thanks for having me today. Well, Ken's story illustrates just how quickly things can change. A beautiful day flying with his dad, coming in for a landing, and actually had landed. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, here comes some deer and a deer strike, which changes the whole day. He did a great job of keeping his composure and handling it. We had some good discussion about controllability checks and how to deal with a retractable gear airplane in different situations. Good things to think about. So thanks for joining us on this edition of There I Was. Alongside our producer, David O'Leary, I'm your host, Richard McSpadden. Until next time, fly safe. Hey, listeners, if you like these podcasts and you'd like to help us continue providing them, please consider a donation to help our efforts. Go to aopafoundation.org slash donate. That's aopafoundation, all one word, dot org slash donate. 
and thanks for your support. There I Was is produced by the AOPA Air Safety Institute. If you'd like to hear other episodes, submit comments, or submit your own story to potentially be featured on the show, please visit airsafetyinstitute.org slash there I was. Thanks for listening.